Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study to the Gospel of John, and this is the 68th program in this series. At the end of the previous message, I was in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 26, and there's something that I would like to spend a little bit more time with, and that is the reference to following Jesus and where he is. In verse 26, this is John, chapter 12, verse 26, it says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Now, when people think about this idea of following Jesus, they're normally thinking about a life of repentance and obedience. And when it comes to where he is, they're normally thinking about him being in the kingdom of heaven so that we are going to live our lives repenting from our sins, obeying his commandments, obeying his commands, and living in a way that he would live if he was here, and that this is what it means to follow him. Eventually, you're going to physically die, and then you will be where he is, which is in the kingdom of heaven. This is normally how people will think of verse 26, But I am expressing that there is something different. I do believe that it's good to live a life without committing sin, and that it is good to do those things that are good, and I do believe that we will eventually be with our Lord Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. And so I don't disagree with the conclusions or the objectives that people are usually thinking of when they're thinking about following him or being where he is. But I do believe that what he is communicating here is something a little bit different. What I see is that the idea of following him and being where he is has more to do with what he is doing now, with what he is doing in this world. Certainly, there is an eventual eternal destination, and I certainly do appreciate that. But it's easy for a person to neglect the reality that there is a world that we live in right now and that our God is an active participant in the things that are going on in this world right now. He is actively doing things. He is involved in people's lives. He is drawing people to himself. He is reaching out to people that he may save them, that he may Reveal to them the truth of who he is, that they may know who he is, that they may grow and mature and experience change and transformation while they are here. So these are things that our God is actively involved in. And I believe that his participation in the world defines an aspect of where 
an aspect of where he is. Where is God? God is involved in the lives of people. That is where he is. He is involved. He is a participant. And he is not going to be isolated in the sense that he is going to be in a specific physical location at all times like we are. He functions in the spiritual dimension, which is aware. It is aware that is connected with our physical dimension in the way that he communicates, he relates. He has a personal connection with people. So that's where he is. He is in the lives of people as a participant. Now, we can also say that he is physically located in certain places, such as within us. As a born-again believer, we have the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God living within us. And so, by definition, if you were to ask where he is, well, he is within you if you are a born-again believer. He is also within other born-again believers. He can be within multiple people at the same time. This is not difficult for God at all. It certainly is something that we cannot do. We can't be a part of that. But this is something that he can do. He is not one of us. He is himself. So I wanted to spend some time explaining a little bit more about the idea of where, where he is. Well, you could say that because he is in so many places, in a sense, he is everywhere, and yet he is also in specific, identifiable places in the sense that he is participating in the individual lives of many people. So if we are going to follow him, using this kind of an understanding or this kind of definition, to follow him means to be where he is. It's not so much a matter of do whatever you think he would do, but to follow him in the sense of being where he is, to be involved in the things that he is involved in, the things that he is doing. And I'm not referring to some kind of institution that suggests that it is the family of God and this is where God is housed and this is what he does. I'm referring to the individual lives of other people. And for us to participate in the lives of other people, just as he is, and to be present with other people, just as he is, is a way of following him and being where he is. And for us to participate means that we are going to reveal the truth to others as he has revealed these things to us. He has shown us the truth about many things, and that truth that he has revealed to us is something that we are to give to someone else. So when we follow him and we are where he is, we are going to be expressing who he is to other people. We are going to participate in helping other people know who he is. And in addition to that, what I was explaining in the previous message is that the idea of following him does require us to have a clear understanding of the truth. And that the more that we pursue, we discover, 
and we understand the truth of who he is and the true definition of the kind of relationship that he is willing to have with us, the closer we get to that, the closer we get to him, the closer we get to the kind of relationship he is willing to have with us. Otherwise, he's just simply not going to participate. He's not going to be a part of the definitions that people believe about him that simply are not true. And so a very important part of the Christian life, this has a lot to do with the discovery of the truth to let go of those things that we believe are true but are not. We are to spend time, we are to put out effort to discover more and more those things that we think are true but are not true, but to discover those things that are true and embrace those things that are, to let go of those things that we believe that simply are not real. The more that we do that, the closer we get to our God, the closer we get to being able to be with him, to be able to communicate with him effectively, because he is going to relate to us on the basis of the truth. And if we expect him to relate to us on the basis of things that we believe that are not true, well, you're going to feel alone for a long time if that's how you want him to relate to you. If you have these theological ideas and these theological beliefs that you may sincerely believe are real and correct and true, but if they're not, you are going to feel alone because God is not going to be a part of those things. So I wanted to explain a little bit more about this from the point of view of verse 26. Moving on into John chapter 12, verse 27. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Jesus expresses prayer. He speaks. And he speaks to God. He speaks to his Father. Now, you might wonder, well, how could this be? I mean, how does this really work out? Because if Jesus is God manifested in the flesh, then what is he doing talking to God as if God is a different person? How does this work? You must remember that God manifested in the flesh to live as a man. He made a decision to live as a man. And so as a man, you would expect him to pray to his God. You would expect him to do that. So he's doing that. This is how I understand this. And to me, this makes perfect sense. If God is going to be here and he's going to live as a man, then I would expect him to pray to God. And here, this is what he's doing. In verse 27, he expresses that his soul is troubled. Well, it should be troubled. As a man, he is about to experience some troubling things. He's going to be crucified. I would expect him to feel some sense of discomfort. I would expect him to feel some sense of being troubled. If he's going to be a man, he should have these kinds of emotional experiences as a man. Now, if he was functioning and living 
as the eternal God, then of course this wouldn't be real. This would be difficult. This would be quite awkward. But he has decided to put that part of himself aside enough, and he has taken upon himself a physical body with whom he is very much connected to with all of the chemical imbalances and the emotions and all the hormonal issues that go along with being attached to this physical body, to have a mind to think with, to have emotions that respond off of what it is that he is thinking, and to have a will to make choices about what he's going to do. And his body is the physical, visible, and audible manifestation of his troubled soul. But because of the connection between his soul and his body, his body is going to be troubled, and his soul is going to respond to what's going on in his body, and his soul is going to be troubled, and his body is going to respond to the trouble in his soul. And this is part of what it means to be a man, to be a person who has manifested in the flesh. So when he says in verse 27, my soul is troubled, this is a good thing. You can see that God can experience what it means to us to be troubled. And he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Is he going to ask God to save him from a very profound tribulation? And he says, no, not a chance. He is expressing his trouble in prayer. He speaks to God and he says, I understand, I know the importance of what this is. And I will not ask for your intervention. I will not ask for you to save me from this discomfort, from this great tribulation that I'm about to experience personally. I will not ask for that because this is why I am here. I am here to go through this. I am. And I will do this. There is great purpose here. And what I am about to go through is important. This is what he expresses in prayer. When we have tribulations and difficulties and opportunities for feeling troubled and uncomfortable... Is this how we often respond to our God? In general, we pray for intervention so that we may not experience any of these difficulties. That tends to be the case. And I don't want you to feel bad if you do this. I just want you to consider adding the possibility that maybe what you are going to go through is a good thing. And I'm not suggesting that God has decided in his great sovereignty or by his will that this is something that he wants you to do necessarily, it could very well be the natural consequences of the decisions of other people in your life or your own decisions. Regardless of that, there can be great things, good things that can result from going through the tribulations and the struggles of life. And so we should feel free to embrace these things knowing that our God will go through these things with us, and that in the midst of the tribulations of life, 
He could very well reveal great things to us about ourselves, about the world that we are a part of, and about who He is. And I myself have been through so many of these things that when I encounter such circumstances now, I do embrace them with great confidence, knowing that He has shown me so much about who He is and about the world that He has made in the past, that even though I know I'm going to feel very uncomfortable and very troubled and very upset, and I won't like it, I know that if it's something that I'm going to go through that I simply cannot avoid, I know that great things will come, and that when it's over, I will be able to say with great confidence that it was worth it when I consider how I grew, how I matured, and how the relationship between myself and my God increased. Like I said, I've been through this enough times that knowing the times to come are coming and that greater things will likely result as well. But in this case, Jesus says that this is why he was here. He was here to suffer and that he will embrace that. And so he continues in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. In the midst of all that Jesus is going to experience, what he would like the Father to do and to experience while Jesus is going through these experiences, he would like the Father to find a way to glorify himself in the midst of what Jesus is going to do. And again, Jesus is, of course, the Father. He's God. That's correct in the sense that he is God manifested in the flesh. But again, he is here to live as a man, not as God. But that doesn't mean that God is going to disappear. God is also going to live as God. The Father will be himself and Jesus will be himself, and so by default you will have two manifestations of the same God taking place simultaneously as our God is functioning in multiple ways at the same time. Simultaneously. So a voice came from heaven, that's verse 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God speaks. He spoke as a man, as Jesus, and he spoke back as the heavenly father from the heavens. And God can do that. Just like you can talk to yourself, maybe even assign different tones to the way that you speak. But God is not you. You cannot evaluate him or expect him to conform to your limitations. He can function this way. He can speak to himself from the heavens to who he is as a man here on earth. And he can speak to himself as a man here on earth to himself who is in the heavens. And there can be Mutual communication happening in this manner. There is nothing wrong with this at all. It doesn't mean that there has to be two different persons. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that you have the same person who is functioning in two different ways at the same time, which he can do. You can't do that, but he can do this. And so he speaks. 
But the people did not understand what he said. They didn't understand in detail what he said. Now, here we have a description of what he said in verse 28. I personally believe that his disciples probably asked Jesus, well, what did God say? And then Jesus told them what he said, and John is recording it. The reason why I have that belief is because of verse 29, the next verse. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And so when I read verse 29, to me it says that they did not understand precisely what was said, but that they did hear a distinctive noise that they recognized as coming from the heavens that was probably divine in nature and that they found this to be unique and significant. And so again in verse 29, therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. And that, of course, would make sense because you have Jesus, who is God manifested in the flesh. You have the living God who speaks outside of the boundaries of the manifestation of the flesh. Of course, he doesn't really need to hear from himself from the heavens. It wasn't for his sake in this context. It was for theirs, an opportunity to see that Jesus is a person of conviction. He is troubled. He is struggling. But he knows what he is going to do and why. And he prays and as God responds. With this kind of interaction, with this kind of response, the people should now have greater confidence to believe in Jesus. That's what it means for their sake. They don't have to understand what was said. All they have to know is that something was said and that there was recognition. There was acknowledgement. They could see that Jesus, as a man, had a personal relationship with the living God. Therefore, they should take Jesus seriously. They should believe in who he is, what he was doing, what he came to do. They should trust him. They should rely on him. They should believe in him as the Messiah. This is additional evidence for them, not for Jesus. It's for the people who are observing what is going on. So again, in verse 30, this is what he meant when it says, Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. And then he goes on. He goes on into verse 31 and opens up a new subject. He says, Now is the judgment of this world. And so, now that you have heard the testimony of my God in heaven, now this is what I want you to pay attention to. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. 
So he prays to his God. His God responds. The people recognize this. And he says, listen, pay attention to this. I want you to know that judgment of this world is upon you. And the ruler of this world is going to be cast out of where he is. And when I am lifted up, when Jesus is crucified, he is going to draw everyone, all peoples, to himself. He tells them this is how he's going to die. And he's going to die this way soon. This is what he says to the people now that he's got their attention. And what does this really mean? This means that the judgment of this world is now... The world is judged as guilty. The world is condemned. There is no hope for the world outside of forgiveness. And this is what Jesus is going to provide for the world. Forgiveness through his death. It will be in this way that forgiveness will be provided to a world that has been judged as guilty. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 68th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 26 to 33. In this program, I spoke a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be where he is. I also spent some time explaining the prayer that he expressed as he was troubled. And I spent some time talking about the judgment of God in the sense that the world is condemned by the sin of the world. And the only hope that exists between the world and God is forgiveness. God must provide forgiveness for the sins of the world. In the next program, I'll speak about this a little bit more and explain what Jesus meant when he said, now the ruler of this world will be cast out in verse 31. And I will continue in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937 or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.